Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. Uh, we are in Zechariah chapter 9. Uh, it's good to see you here. I wasn't sure if after break we'd have anybody show up again. I told Tony, well, tonight might be the end of Generation Word Ministries. We're done. No one showed up. Uh, but thank, thank you for coming. Uh, I spent a lot of time during uh, vacation here just to doing notes for Zechariah. I'm, I'm really excited about chapter 9. I, like I said earlier, you know, when you read in chapter 9 and 10, uh, sometimes you, 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 there's a prophecy that you understand, like Jesus coming in on a donkey. But then the next verse, it's like, what, where's that? Like the verses leading up to it, what, what is that talking about? The verses after it, is it, you know, from the time of the Greeks, uh, Alexander? Is it the time of the ministry of Jesus? Is it some future event? And I really felt good about the commentaries I was reading and, and putting things together. So I, I'm real excited about it. I've got about 10 weeks of information to dump on you tonight. And... Uh, and I'm almost disappointed that we're only going to get, you know, a little ways through it. Uh, so I've got like 50 pages of notes to, to hand out. Uh, I hope it, it all works for you and help, hopefully it makes sense. Uh, again, so I've got to slow my mind down. There's, I, I just want to jump in and show you so many things. Uh, but anyway, chapter 9 of Zechariah. Uh, we introduced it last time. Uh, actually, we introduced it a couple weeks ago, and then we went through those verses and as always, uh, you don't have to agree with what I'm, I'm interpreting. I mean, you've got the Scripture, you've got to agree with the Scripture, but you've got like, what is he talking about? Is it a metaphor? Is it re- referring to a historical event? Remember, we're in 518. We've moved our poster down here a little bit to get the Greek side showing. So we're in 518, right in here when Zechariah is prophesying these things. It appears, we know for sure, that Darius I is ruling and reigning. Uh, there's going to be another Darius, you can see right here, Darius the II, uh, and eventually Darius the Third. that Alexander's going to meet. So as we read through these things, don't be, don't be confused. There's going to be a Darius. And then there was a, a Darius that ruled with uh, Cyrus, came in and ruled with Cyrus, came from the, Macedo- uh, the Mede side. So there was a Darius that's in the book of Daniel. That's not this Darius that's ruling down during the days of Zechariah and Haggai. Uh, there's going to be another Darius show up, and then Alexander's going to finally defeat Darius III, which will be the fourth Darius on our chart here. Um, so anyway, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, I, a lot of the first three, four pages of the notes are just kind of what we talked about last time. And so y- you've got a map uh, on the top of the page, showing some of the locations. And basically, in review as we read through this, uh, Alexander's going to break through the Persian coast, come across Asia Minor. A lot of those have been Grecian cities that they've, they've come across and settled. Persia has already gone up and tried to attack across into what we'd say Europe. Uh, way back, way back in this time, in fact, I'll show you in a couple weeks, uh, during, even during this time, the, the Persians were moving into Greek territory, or they were already across Asia Minor, but they're having conflicts with the Greeks. And by the time Alexander gets here, uh, you know, the Greeks and Persians have been at war, especially during the days of Esther with Xerxes. In the book of Esther, that's Xerxes. He actually goes over there and is in Greek territory. Uh, So they were rising and they were a force. Um, so Alexander, if this is Jerusalem right here, this is the Mediterranean Sea, 
He's going to be coming down here from the north. He's going to go through the area of Aram or Syria. He's going, and those cities are mentioned. He's going to defeat those going past Damascus. He's going to defeat Tyre, then come down here to the Philistine cities. Main one is going to be Gaza, uh, and he's going to come through here on his way to Egypt. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to form a buffer, a barrier, to cut off, you know, if he can control this coast, because this is all wilderness, if he can control the coast, he controls the sea, he controls everything back here. Here's Persia, and here's Egypt, and if he can drive this wedge right here, they can't support each other. He's gonna, the, the supply line would come right down the coastal plain. He'll break that supply line. So Tyre, Gaza, and we're going to find out he, he's go, the Jews are going to not submit to him, and we'll see that tonight, which is going to make him mad. So when he defeats Gaza finally, he's going to turn and head to Jerusalem with intention of ending Jerusalem because they haven't come to support him. Like He wanted them to reject Darius the third and say we're, we're going to stop paying taxes and tribute to him and start being loyal to Alexander and they, they're going to say the high priest Jadu is going to say I can't do that I mean we've made a commitment to, to Darius we're not going to break it well Alexander's mad he's going to come in here and that's where we're going to get to where Jerusalem is going to be delivered now when that's settled Alexander will come down here and defeat Egypt knowing that no one's going to come up from behind him because Persia can't get through this territory because it's now his. He defeats Egypt, turns back, and then heads out here and pushes Persia out of control. So these, these first verses, I think, as we talked about last time, are talking about this march through Syria, destroying Tyre, and then turning to Jerusalem, and his intentions are not going to be met. So here we go, chapter 9. Verse 1 in the NIV, the word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach and will rest upon Damascus. And that is a word of the Lord. He's spoken. He's coming against them. Now, God is going to come or the Lord is going to be coming. But to read this in context of the way I'm presenting it, the Lord is not going to do it. Alexander is going to do it. The Lord is going to be working through Alexander, which is not unusual. <clears throat> because the Assyrians were the hand or the rod of God's oppression. He was p- punishing Israel with the Assyrians. Nebuchadnezzar was the man God chose. Both Daniel and Zechariah say that. So when God comes to destroy Jerusalem uh, through the Babylonians, it was God coming through Nebuchadnezzar. Cyrus was, even by Isaiah, says he was God's anointed, and he was going to send the people back to rebuild the temple. So that was the Lord sending the people back. And so it's not hard for us to imagine that when Alexander arises and starts marching down here, that it's Lord, especially when he is the third after the lion, the bear, Persia, and then now is the leopard, as Daniel's prophecy. This is clearly the Lord. So again, when I read here, the, Lord's, the word of the Lord is against uh, Hadrach and Damascus, and the Lord is marching, that would be Alexander. Now, you don't have to accept that, but that's the way I'm presenting that. Uh, there's a great verse coming up here where it's actually going to be the Lord. The Lord is actually one day going to show up and do this himself. And we can see that in these verses, which I was excited to see. Uh, For the eyes of men and all the tribes of Israel are on the Lord. And that's, again, one of the interpretations. Um, And upon Hamath, too, which borders upon it. And upon Tyre and Sidon, uh, though they are very skillful. Tyre has built herself a stronghold, 
Tyre means rock, and stronghold is, again, a play on that word rock. Tyre, the rock, has built herself a rock. She has heaped up silver like dust and gold like the dirt of her street, of the streets, but the Lord will take away her possessions. Now, the Lord is not going to do it himself. Alexander's going to be the one that does it. They face opposition. Tyre's going to face opposition from the Assyrians for many years. Then Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and attack Tyre for 13 years, destroying the coastal city, but not being able to get out to the island city. But then Alexander is eventually going to go out there and defeat the island city and take all those possessions. All that gold and silver they piled up, Alexander is going to take it and destroy the, her power on the sea. And she will be consumed by fire. Alexander will burn her. Now, verse 5, the Philistine cities, Ashkelon will see it and fear Gaza will writhe in agony. I'm going to read to you some information about that battle. And Ekron too, for her troop or her hope will wither. Gaza will lose her king. I'll read you that. And Ashkelon will be deserted. Now that is going to basically the Philistines are going to be eliminated, not just by Nebuchadnezzar, but what's left of them will be eliminated by Alexander. They're going to be destroyed. The men will be killed, and everyone else sold into slavery which means all that territory, the coastal plain is open, those are Philistine cities, and new people are going to move in and occupy those places. And those people will intermarry with any kind of Philistines that are left. And, well, we'll read it here. Foreigners will occupy Ashdod. Why? Because all the citizens were killed. And I will cut off the pride of the Philistines. I will take away the blood from their mouths, the forbidden food from between their teeth. And that's probably referring to them and their sacrificial practices. They would use blood and like pig's flesh and stuff, not just in their diet, but in their pagan worship rituals. So that, that could be referring to their diet, or it could be referring to their idolatry, the practice of worship. Those who are left will belong to our God. There will be some left that will intermarry with moving in, groups of people moving in, and they're going to eventually become followers of God. And become leaders in Judah. They're going to be absorbed into Judah. In fact, it says, And Ekron will be like the Jebusites. And that's the point of when David took the city of Jerusalem, it was the Jebusite city, the Jebusites just came in and were absorbed in. He didn't kill them all. They just became part of, and they had a certain place in their culture of the Jews. They didn't, in a sense, become Jewish, but they became workers and members of the society and submitted to the Lord. So that's what will, be, will happen to the Philistines. But, I will def- but then it says, verse 8, but I will defend my house. And that's where Alexander is going to turn and head to Jerusalem because they didn't support him in, against Tyre or against Gaza. They says, we can't, we can't support you against Darius because we've sworn allegiance to him. So he says, fine, I'll get you after Tyre and Gaza. I'll get you next. And so Alexander is going to turn with intention of plundering Jerusalem. But he's got this verse hanging over his head. See, like the word of the Lord is against you, O Hadrad. Well, the word of the Lord is in support of you, O Jerusalem. So when Alexander comes with intention of destroying the, the Syria and Tyre, so is God, and you're going to fall. But when Alexander turns to destroy Jerusalem, well, the word of the Lord is not against Jerusalem. The word of the Lord is saying, but I'll defend my city. So Alexander comes to defeat it. The guys say, well, no, we're not going to do that. And so Alexander forms a peace treaty with him which is very interesting, which this is history, this is prophecy, and we're living in days that is historical, and God is still watching. Not, I can't necessarily turn to a verse and tell you what God is doing, but I can tell you God is st- doing something. 
And so there's things that God's word is doing, his intentions are doing as nations rise and fall and, and political figures move about. God is doing something and they may have an intention and it all depends on if God is saying, yes, that's also my intention. Or if they've got an intention, God says, well, that's not what we're going to do. And they'll be right on the verge of doing something and God can move them in another direction. Again, we, we are under the hand of God even today. I can't flip to a verse right now specifically and tell you where we're at. Uh, but I do think God is still doing the same things he was doing in these days. He just revealed this through Zechariah. But I, verse 8, but I will defend my house against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. Now that, that's an example, like we're just talking about preterism, where I can say these things are, happen historically, like preterism wants to say all prophecy is future. And we say, ah, oh, yeah, this has happened, this has all happened. But then you get right here, never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. It's like, well, Rome is coming. Rome is going to burn this place to the ground again and put them into a 2,000-year dispersion. So that is a prophecy that yet has to be completely fulfilled. You can say, all this was fulfilled. And when he says, never again will an oppressor overrun my people, that's going to be true because Alexander is going to make peace. And then there's going to be peace in Israel up until the time, uh, let's say 167, when the solutions come down and Tychus Epiphanes comes down from up here, the Grecian territory that was taken over by Alexander, basically Syria. Uh, and he's going to, what do you, I mean, I apologize about my map right here. But they're going to come down to 167, so that verse will hold true. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people until the solutions arise. And then there's going to be the Syrian wars. But God will raise up the Maccabees and send Israel back, becoming a nation. They'll be restored as a nation. Uh, to, would you make a treaty with Rome? And then the Romans will come. So that is, that is true, but it's not like a nonstop prophecy. It's going to be interrupted. So again, in other, wor- other words, it's a, got a temporal fulfillment. Alexander's going to bring them peace, but it's going to be interrupted. Eventually, Jesus will bring peace. That's where we're at in verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And that is very clearly identified in the Gospels and the disciples, the apostles, as being fulfilled on Palm Sunday. But chapter 9, verse 10, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim uh, and the war horse from Jerusalem, uh, that Jesus did not do. And nowhere in the Gospels did they even give any kind of a hint. I mean, they're all over verse 9 that this was fulfilled. Jesus did this. But no one even mentions verse 10. It's like they just leave it there. They don't mention verse 8. They don't mention verse 10, but they're all over verse 9. So now wh- why? Is this chronological? Uh, why can they take verse 9 and just handpick verses? But, well, that was fulfilled. Uh, was it totally fulfilled? Is Jesus going to come back another day in peace and fulfill all these verses that are coming? Now, right here, if you don't mind, did you pick up the one piece of paper back there? This is for notes. Notice what it's titled. This is like 35 pages of notes. I just took the first page. This is, this is, this is for another day, another night. But this is chapter 9, verses 9 through 17. And this is what caused one of the things that, that I, 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 I figured out, uh, not that I'm a genius, you know, or I'm some kind of Bible scholar, but I was reading, and I was confused. Because you read from here, 
you've got your king is coming and so there's a pronoun your who is your uh and then who is the king and then you're all of a sudden you're going to have in verse 14 it says then the lord will appear and then that's now clearly yahweh and I, we're going to make a big deal about that ver- word, verse four, chapter f- 9, verse 14. Then the Lord will appear. And I've got quite a bit of information, that we're gonna, and you're familiar with a lot of it, because you've got words like uh, parousia. You've got uh, words uh, referring to like the ap- apocalypse, the, the revealing. Uh, the, of the, whenever the Lord Jesus returns, there's three words that are used in the New Testament. And they all, one is very clearly appear, you know, at the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But the other two also refer to his appearing and, and nations seeing him and people seeing him. And he's now here. Well, it's just interesting that that word right there, then the Lord will appear. So up here, so far, we've been reading about Alexander or God using the Lord using Alexander. Then all of a sudden, the king is riding in on a donkey well, who's the king? And then it mentions your king, so you got a people. But then over in verse 14, from then on, it's all about what the Lord is doing himself. So what I did uh, on this, this one page of notes that you have tonight is I just took, in the English Standard Version, and I, I took those pronouns. Uh, the one is the, the your or your prisoners, daughter of Zion. Those are the Jews. Now, they may be the Jews of 518 they may be the jews that see alexander coming they may be the jews but they'd be the descendants of these jews of 518 in alexander's day or the descendants of the jews in the days of jesus when they see him coming on the donkey or they may be the jews when the lord actually does appear in the end times it's they're all the daughters of zion so that's right there that would be one the jews the king is the royal man uh he's referred to as your king he or his uh four times and then there's going to be the reference to i or the lord which is yahweh in the hebrew his and also the lord of hosts that is yahweh so as we read through i'm going to read through chapter 9 9 through 17 on this page and for me it really helped. I try to clarify it by underlining and highlighting and things on here. For what at first appeared to be just like clumsy, who are these people? Like I even mentioned maybe last time we talked, your prisoners will be set free. Well, whose prisoners? Well, in context, the Jews, pris- the prisoners that are of the Jews, they'd been taken somewhere. And most likely that's been taken into captivity or dispersion. They're going to be brought back. But here it goes right here. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, to the Jews. Righteous and having salvation is he. And who is he? He is the king, which we know to be uh, the son of David, the royal king in the line of David, which would be the Messiah, which is Jesus, who is also now we know as God, who is the manifestation of Yahweh. So the king is not going to be Alexander, who the Lord is working through. The king is going to be the man that Yahweh manifested in uh, what we call the Messiah. 
So, so anyway, he is going to come riding on a donkey, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse nine, ver- chapter 9, verse 10. I, through that man, Yahweh, will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he, that king, that Messiah, that man, not Alexander, but this new king, shall speak peace to the nations and his rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to river to the ends of the earth. Now when that happens... As for you, Israel, you Jews, you descendants of 518 and daughters of Jerusalem, you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, and who is my, that's Yahweh, because of Yahweh's covenant with you, Israel. And at that, at, at, when I first read that, I'm like all over the map. What covenant? Is it the new covenant? It must be salvation. It, it, it's surely not the Mosaic covenant. It's is what what is it the abrahamic covenant what well if you put that for me right now before we get there we're several weeks away as for you jews because of the blood of my covenant yahweh's covenant with you jews that's the mosaic covenant because in the mosaic covenant he says you are my people when you disobey me i will punish you but i will bring you back so because of the my covenant with you I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. So because of the Mosaic Covenant, I promise through Abraham, you are Abraham's descendants, I will come get you. I will send you away, but I will come get you. Now, as a Christian in the church age, we want that, well, that must be the new covenant. But and it could be. I may be wrong. You understand? I'm interpreting this. The word of God is right. My interpretation, you know, I may change it by the time we get back. You know, the word of God's not going to change, but my understanding may. But it fits perfectly. As for you Jews, because of the blood of my, Yahweh's covenant with the Jews, the Mosaic covenant, or Abrahamic covenant that led to the Mosaic covenant, I, Yahweh, will set your prisoners, you Jewish prisoners, free from the waterless pit. Now, what is the waterless pit? I'm just going to say right here, that's captivity, where they've been cut off out of the land. They're going to be brought back. I will set your prisoners free. Now watch this, verse 12. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Who are the prisoners of hope? Those in the faraway lands that have been prisoners of hope for 2,000 years. All the prophets talk about where God's going to come get you. See, which really undermines the whole preterist concept. I mean, you've got to throw all these, reinterpret all these verses. If you're going to go pray, they've all been fulfilled. Israel's never coming back. Well, what do you do with all that? You're going to have to spiritualize everything. And the Mosaic Covenant not only is over, it's not even real. I mean, God's never going to come back and get the Jews. The Abrahamic coming is not even important. Once Jesus came, everything's set aside. Well, Paul makes it pretty clear the Mosaic covenant has been set aside, but the Abrahamic covenant, that's still, that's still real. And again, all this stuff is, could be talked about for quite a while. Today, I declare, Yahweh says, I, Yahweh, declare that I will restore to you double, to the Jews, double. Now again, there's no... There's, there's no Gentiles in this. This is talking to the Jews, if you go with what I'm saying straight up. For I, Yahweh, have bent Judah as my bow. Just like he used Alexander, he says, now I am going to use Judah. I'm going to bend Judah. And this is how the book of Zechariah ends. The tribes fighting along with Yahweh when he appears, fighting against the nations. He says, I will bend Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. Now, Judah and Ephraim, Judah is the southern tribe. 
Ephraim is one of Joseph's sons, the largest, one of the larger tribes in the north. And so that, that's speaking of united again. The tribes are being brought back together. It makes sense, especially after the restoration. I'll bend Judah as my bow. I'll make Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion. Now, who's your sons, O Zion? That's the Jews. Against your sons, O Greece. Now, that would be the Maccabean revolt in, you know, come right, you know, in 167 A.D., right here, uh, which would be, but this might be something bigger, the nation of the Greeks, that there's, there's legitimate eschatological work that when it talks about the Antichrist and where the Antichrist will come from, it could be right out of the Greek world. It could be right out of, we talk about the north and Turkey, especially when it talks about uh, the seven churches, the seat of Satan is there. Uh, we could build a case for that too. So this may be, have again, much richer than just Alexander, but the sons of Greece. But no, it'll be the nations. Against your sons, O Greece, and weld you, Israel, the Jews, like a warrior sword. I'm going to use the Jews to fight against the Greeks that are attacking. Now watch this right here. Are you with me so far? Verse 14. Then Yahweh will appear over them. While they're fighting like Alexander is being used by the Lord, now Israel's being used by the Lord. When they begin to fight and the Lord's working through them, then guess who shows up? Yahweh appears over them in the sky, in the air. The Lord Yahweh will appear, and that's again, could be, and I'm going to tie it eventually into all those eschatological, meet the Lord in the air. The, the throne of God appears in the air. The sign of the Son of Man appears. The angels go out and gather the elect. It's at that moment, the Lord appear over them, and his, Yahweh's arrow, will go forth like lightning. Now he's shooting arrows, or lightning. Again, we won't spend much time on this. The Lord God, Yahweh, Again, that's Yahweh and God. That would be Yahweh of hosts. Will sound the trumpet. Now, this is one of the only times in the Bible where the Lord is sounding a trumpet. And anything about the, the trumpets, you know, the, there's going to be trumpets sounded by angels. There's trumpets sounded by people. Now, the Lord is His lightning, His trumpet, and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. This is Isaiah, where he's coming, Isaiah 63, where he comes up from the south. This is, in a sense, the second coming. The Lord of hosts will protect them, the Jews, and the Jews, they shall devour and tread down the sling stones, and they, the Jews, shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine, not meaning intoxication, but like intoxication, they're just drunk on victory. I mean, they're just, they're, they're enemies throwing stones at them. They're just eating them up. They're devouring them. And they're basically drunk on victory. I mean, they're just roaring. And be full like a bowl. That's a sacrificial bowl. That's, we can look at that word. Drenched like the corners of the altar. So the bowl would hold blood, and the blood is poured out on the altar. The Jews look like they're priests offering sacrifices. Just there's blood everywhere. And they're roaring like they're drunk because they've been devouring all the attacks the enemies can get on them. And they, they, they can't, they're, they're just full of just eating all this victory. On that day, Yahweh, their God, will save them. Again, there's that word save. As the flock of his people, 
for like the jewels of a crown, they, the Jews, shall shine on his land. For now, or for how great is Yahweh's goodness and how great his beauty. And again, that could be interpreted, that could be there. That's a, a pronoun that could go either way. Grain shall make the young women, your young men flourish, and new wine the young women. Now that's talking about the next generation. They'd already fought the battle, and they're drunk with victory. And what's the result? Well, they're going to be like jewels in the land on the crown of the Lord. He's gathered them together. And now the young men and young women, well, that's the, now it's like now we're, we're continuing on in the future. And they're like, they've got grain, they've got new wine, they're in prosperity. So that's, that's where this verse, this chapter is headed. I just wanted you to see that. And it helped me to get those pronouns kind of lined up like that. And otherwise, you're just in the middle of reading those verses. Your, you, your prisoners. And you're, if, you, if you don't have those pronouns identified, you're free to go anywhere you want to. Well, you would refer to, fill in a pronoun, you know. Again, that's what I did with those verses to help myself understand it. And that's how, from that basis, how I interpreted the verses. Again, that doesn't mean it's right. Okay. Here we go. We're going to look at the notes, and we're, we're like three weeks away from that information, and you're going to hear that again. Let's go to uh, page 15 on the notes, and uh, there's chapter 9, verse 3. Tyre has built herself a rampart and heaped up silver like dust, uh, fine gold like the mud of the streets. Uh, chapter 9, verse 4 on page 15. But behold, the Lord will strip her of her possessions and strike down her power on the sea, and she shall be devoured by fire. Uh, here's the points. Alexander did this in 332. We're right here. 332, right here. He's, in these are the years. Alex, Greece was starting to rise here against, well, they are back here rising. But this is where Philip began to make plans to invade Persia, and Persians are on a decline right through here. Uh, Alexander would be right at this point right here. Uh, he destroys Tyre. Uh, about 186 years after this prophecy, uh, Tyre lost her possessions. Piles of gold were taken. Tyre was consumed by fire. Uh, the word behold is used to emphasize the imminence of this action. Behold, it's going to happen. Page 16. Uh, here, uh, both are true. This will happen soon. Uh, on this timeline. I mean, soon in the sense that we're talking 518 when Zechariah is giving this prophecy. And Greece was already rising. Xerxes is going to go to war with Greece. There's going to be battles recorded in the Bible uh, throughout this time. And by here, they're in full-fledged. So within 186 years, those things are taking place. Um, they'd spent 150, Tyre had spent 151 years resisting the Assyrians, and the Assyrians could not take them. They spent 13 years resisting Nebuchadnezzar. He couldn't take the island. He took the main land city. But this time, with Alexander in 332, with these verses behind him, Alexander will take the island city and plow it off into the ocean. You still see the pillars laying off in there, and it's never been rebuilt. Uh, this right here, uh, first time in the book of, in this verse, first time in uh, that Yahweh is referred to here as Adonai, uh, emphasis on his uh, being a master of military. Chapter 9, verse 5, moving now into the Philistine territory. Ascalon, it says, shall see it. See what? See Tyre being destroyed by Alexander. After enduring the Assyrians, enduring the Babylonians, no one can take Tyre. They're haughty. Alexander just took them. Oh, my gosh, Ascalon had to watch that. I mean, it's on the news all day long, 24-7 coverage. 
and be afraid. Gaza too, and we'll keep this in mind, shall writhe in anguish. Ekron also because its hopes are confounded. The king shall perish from Gaza. Remember that the king of Gaza will perish. We'll tell you how. Ashkelon shall be uninhabited. Now, here's what takes place. Point three. Uh, the siege of Gaza takes place in 332, which happens right after the siege of Tyre in 332. So Tyre, and then he's marching down the, field, down the coastal plain, down to Gaza. Uh, and this is right out of Wikipedia. Okay, I know Zach, my son, teaches literature, and he will not allow kids to quote anything or refer to Wikipedia because it's just a bunch of people's opinions. Uh, well, okay, you can go ahead and just trust the mainstream media if you want to, but at least if you're on Wikipedia, now again, I'm not defending, I'm not a scholar for any means, but at least on Wikipedia, you type something stupid, someone can come on and say, and force you to check it. Now, you can write a book, publish it, and print it, and you don't have anybody criticizing it right there in the book. So Wikipedia, again, I, I'm not smart enough to defend it, but it's if you're going to write something stupid on Wikipedia, there's going to be a scholar somewhere that's going to come by and possibly correct it. Uh, but anyway, this is from Wikipedia. I just cut and pasted. One day during the siege of Gaza in 332, Alexander's laying siege, the Gazans, people of the Philistines, made a sortie. They came out against enemy siege equipment constructed on the site. So Alexander, he had left some of the siege equipment entire because they can't move it all down right away. They've got to ship it all down. They've got to roll it all the way down. He goes down to Gaza. He's going to make three attacks, and he's already made some new siege equipment. And so while he's laying the siege and getting it set up, they come out and uh, they attack. Alexander, again, like a true general, led his shield-bearing guards. He's got his own group of shield-bearers that protect him, and they're not only protect him, but he uses them as a personal military to invade. He does that several times. So he's got his troops, but he's got his own personal bodyguard. I think they're called the champions. That might have been the Persian's name. I, 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 I remember, but I, I forget. Alexander led his shield-bearing guards into counterattack. Alexander's shoulder was injured in the attempt. Uh, according to Arian, the rest of the mound was completed shortly after around the whole of Gaza. So they built a, a siege ramps all around it. At some unidentified period after this, the siege equipment from Tyre arrived. So now he's also got the weapons he'd use, the siege equipment he used at Tyre, and was put into use also. Uh, it was after this that major sections of the wall were broken by the Macedonians, the walls of Gaza. After three attempts to enter the city, the Macedonians finally entered the city. The Gazans fought bitterly. At one point, an Arab mercenary pretended to surrender and after being taken into the macedonian camp he attacked alexander now how that happened i don't know probably because alexander's out in the middle of the war who suffered a minor injury before the arab was struck down here's the guy's name right here the king's name is in this account battis and we're going to see this name again in josephus's account battis the persian king darius the third's commander of the fortress of gaza so it was a fortress on the coastal highway because it was important. So this guy was placed there by Darius III, the last king of the Persians. And Battis was, again, faithful to Darius, the Persians, uh, controlled the main road that connected Persia to Egypt, again, because it runs right down the coast. Uh, 
Battus was aware of Alexander's destruction of Tyre and his march down the Mediterranean coast. So before this all took place, Battus had been preparing Gaza. See, the, the, the Bible says Gaza sees this happening up in Tyre. And right here now you've got, historically, Battus, uh, Batus, uh, preparing Gaza as he sees Alexander coming through Syria, coming down through Tyre. And it got ready for a long siege. This may be a long, if he comes, he's going to take him several months to get in here. So we've got to get our stocks ready. Battus refused to surrender. And when Gaza fell, the men were executed and the women and children sold into slavery. Now that is an important point, uh, postmodern woke culture in America. The men will be slaughtered and the women and children sold into slavery. They are not equals. Well, yeah, we're all equals. Okay, in the time of military, the men are slaughtered and the women are defenseless. Well, I thought women's just going to do whatever a man can do. Okay, go ahead. You, you dream your little dream and someday you'll find out. But that's what Alexander did. He didn't, he wasn't, uh, you know, equal to all. Uh, upon being defeated and captured, Battus refused to speak to Alexander. So they didn't kill Bat- Battus, the king. They brought him to Alexander. But he refuses to speak to Alexander and refused to kneel before Alexander. I admire the guy. That's a true man. Stand up. Don't let a a pressure push you around. But uh, the Roman historian records that Battus was killed this way. When Alexander imitated Achilles' execution of Hector. Now, if you understand anything about that, Achilles' execution of Hector was done by inserting a rope between uh, Battus's ankle bone and the Achilles tendon and then dragging him alive by chariot around the walls of the city until he was dead. And that is in Greek stories. That's how Achilles executed Hector. Just They fought bravely, fought boldly, but once he was defeated and he refused to bow, tied a rope into his, into his body and drug him around the city until he was dead. Thus, this king Battus who's talked about right here, seeing Alexander coming, was afraid, did his best, but ends up being drugged to get death around the city of, of Gaza. Again, all of his tropes are dead. Uh, the women and children are sold. Anyone that remains is executed or sold into slavery. Now, point four, with the defeat of Gaza and the Philistine cities, Alexander controlled the Mediterranean coast. He could just keep right on going into, into Egypt because he's got to turn and go up to get into Jerusalem, you've got to turn off the coastal plain, go up through the hill country of Judea, and as you get into what we call the mountains of Jerusalem, you know they're not like mountains with snow caps, but it's like steep climbing uh, up to the hills, up, uh, up on top uh, uh, toward Jerusalem. It's out of the way. He, he could have gone right into Egypt. Jerusalem itself is isolated off the main road, but he goes to Jerusalem. Um. I've got some other things written down there uh, underneath verse, chapter 9, verse 6. A mixed people will, shall dwell in Ashdod, and I will cut off the pride of Philistia. And that talks about what is, I got some points there. Chapter 9, verse 7. I will take away its blood from its mouth and the abomination from between its teeth. It too shall be a remnant for our God, meaning there are going to be some coming to Christ. It shall be like a clan in Judah, and Ekron shall be like the Jebusites. Um, Turn the page 18. These are just some highlights right there. The blood and forbidden food appear to refer to pagan uh, Philistine practice of eating and idol worship. God's going to put an end to that. 
Chapter 9, verse 7 says, uh, He will take the remnant of the people of, from Philistia to be his people. They'll be like the people of Judah, like the Jebusites. Uh, point three, just so you understand, and I'm sure you do, Ekron, Ashdod, and Gaza are all in the promised land. They are in territory in Joshua 15, given to the tribe of Dan. And Dan, of course, that's another whole story that was too hard for them, so they just moved north and left it to the Philistines. But that it was originally, this land that was just conquered by Alexander is actually in the promised land. Interesting, this same land, the city of Ashdod in the New Testament is called Azotus. And Acts 8.40 says, Philip brought the gospel to Azotus. That's after he was, in a sense, raptured or taken up from the, uh, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch and came down at Azotus, which is Ashdod, which was said in the Old Testament to be people of God. Well, that's Philip goes, preaches there, uh, and continued through Philistine territory until he reached Caesarea. And that's Acts Ash, chapter 8, verse 40. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus, uh, Ashdod, and traveled about Philistine territory, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So that verse, if nothing else in the book of Acts, is interesting, but if nothing else, it is a fulfillment, in one sense, of these people are going to become the people of God when they heard about Christ. Chapter 9, verse 8. Then I will encamp at my house. This is now the Lord speaking. Then I will encamp at my house as a guard. Now he's got Alexander marching into his town, but he's gone ahead to camp in his town at, at, in my house as a guard so that none shall march to and fro. No oppressor shall again march over them, for now I see with my own eyes. Uh, it just says after the con uh, conquest of the pagan nations, the Lord will now defend his house, which could be the temple, it could be Jerusalem, it could be Judah, it could be the people of God. Uh, and then top of page 19, like we said, this could refer to a temporary state of defense until the Seleucid Empire arises, because in 167, there's going to be a conflict with the Seleucid, the Greeks that were left over by Alexander. But it also refers to the ultimate fulfillment sometime uh, but Alexander is like a temporary fulfillment of that. Uh, it says, the no oppressor, that refers to uh, someone that press or drive or oppress, a tyrant, a donkey driver, or one who exacts tribute. Point four, Alexander, are you ready for this now? How, what time is it? I find this totally amazing, fascinating, so I hope you do too. Point four, Alexander approached Jerusalem, but did not attack or destroy it. Alexander had full intention of it. We're going to read what Josephus writes. But instead, Alexander ends up in the temple, worshiping Yahweh in the temple. Uh, Josephus reports Alexander had had a dream. So here we go, page uh, 19, where it says 11.317. This is Josephus' account of this very event. Are you ready? Bear with me. I hope you like this. This is thrilling for me. So when Alexander besieged Tyre, now th again, I'm, I'm not reading Wikipedia, I'm not reading scripture, I'm not reading a historical collection of information, I'm reading what Josephus wrote between 70 and 90 AD when he was in Rome recounting Jewish history while he was living in Rome. Having been a Jewish general, a Jewish Pharisee who fought against the Romans in 66 AD, but was captured and realized 
like Jeremiah would have, there's no way we're going to defeat the Romans. This is the hand of God. In fact, he prophesied to then uh, Titus, who was the emperor's son. Vespasian was the emperor. Titus was the head general in charge of this. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Vespasian was in charge of the military, the general, and the emperor was Nero, had just executed Paul. The Jewish wars are, are breaking out in 66. Josephus is fighting against Vespasian. Nero is executing Paul and then commits suicide a few months after, if it's 67, 68 A.D. Josephus tells Vespasian after being captured, he prophesies to him as a prophet. So he's a general. He's a Pharisee trained in Scripture. He's a great writer. And uh, now he prophesies, according to Josephus' words. Ah, who knows? Prophesied to Vespasian that you'll be the next emperor. So Vespasian showed a favor, and Nero commits suicide. The, fi- the troops find out that Nero's gone, and now there's everybody's trying to become, you know, it's like, who's the Speaker of the House? Everybody's trying to buy for position. And uh, the troops come around Vespasian, support him. He goes back, claims the throne, puts his son Titus in charge of now the military operations, and Titus is the one who destroys Jerusalem. So Vespasian uh, adopts Josephus into his family, takes him to Rome. So he's a Pharisee. He's a general who was captured or surrendered to Rome because he realized we're not going to win this war and tried then to help convince the Jews, just surrender. Sounds exactly like what Jeremiah did. Just Remember, he was called unpatriotic because Jeremiah says just, if you want to spare your city, if you want to live, just pay tribute to Nebuchadnezzar. God has given everything into his hands. That's what Jeremiah was saying. And they hated him for it. Tried to kill him, put him in prison, mocked him, put him in stocks. Well, Jesus had already prophesied that Rome was going to destroy Jerusalem. Now, Josephus wasn't a Christian, but does refer to John the Baptist, does refer to Jesus, and does refer to James, Jesus' brother, in his writings. Uh, so Josephus realizes this is unwinnable. God is destroying our nation. Anyway, he's adopted. He goes to Rome and writes this account. And here it is. Picking up right with with this account, he's writing history. He's not teaching Bible. He's just writing history. So when Alexander besieged Tyre, he sent an epistle, a letter, to the Jewish high priest, whose name is Jadua. Jadua is the high priest. Uh, He's referred to a different name here. And Battus is also going to be mentioned here by a different name, very similar but a different name. Remember, these things are coming out of ancient languages into Greek, into Latin, into English. And so just like the name Jacobus, we talk about this in the book of James, Jacobus is the one who wrote the book of James. Jacobus becomes, oh, uh, uh, how do, what is it? Anyway, Jacobus becomes Go straight from Hebrew or uh, Arabic, Greek, in, excuse me, Greek into English as Jacob, but Jacobus uh, goes into Latin first as uh, I got it in my notes. I can't, remember, but like Jamas, uh, but I mean the Latin is one word, and then from Latin into English as James. So the two words Jacob names Jacob and James come from the same whoever wrote the book of James, Jacobus. It just one goes from Greek into English. One goes from Greek into Latin into English. We say James. Same thing. That's why these names say, well, that's not exactly right. Well, a lot of transition as it gets there. Nonetheless, here we go. 
Uh, so when Alexander besieged Tyre, he sent an, a letter, an epistle to the Jewish high priest to send him some auxiliary, saying, you send me some supplies. Notice who's leading the nation of Israel, not the king, but the high priest at 332, which is exactly the way things were as this is being set up. And to supply his army with provisions. I need help. I need some supplies. And that what pr- presents he formerly sent to Darius he would now send to him, your, your tribute, whatever you send to Darius, stop sending it and start sending it to me. And choose the friendship of the Macedonians, and that he should never repent of doing so. If you support me, you're never going to be sorry. But the high priest answered the messengers that he had given his oath to Darius not to bear arms against him. I've taken a vow. And he said that he would not transgress this while Darius was in the land of the living. In other words, if you killed Darius, well, I can think about it, but I can't break my vow. Upon hearing this answer, Alexander was very angry. Now, remember what happened to Tyre. He sent ambassadors out to the island, and his ambassadors were executed and thrown over the wall. Then Alexander spent the next months bent on destroying Tyre. Now, Jadua didn't kill the messengers. He just sent them back with a negative answer. It was not quite as severe but you still upset Alexander. And Alexander was very angry, Josephus writes. And though he determined not to leave Tyre, because again, I'm going to take care of this now, I'm going to finish this job at Tyre, which was just ready to be taken, yet as soon as he had taken it, he threatened that he would make an expedition against the Jewish high priest and through him teach all men to whom they must keep their oaths. You keep your oath to me, even if you haven't made one. So when he had... Like that doesn't, doesn't sound good for Jerusalem. Now, you understand what the Bible says. Uh, God is going to go defend his city. Alexander's now, after he destroys Tyre and Gaza, is heading to Jerusalem. Uh, so when he had, with a good deal of pains during the siege, taken Tyre and had settled its affairs, he came to the city of Gaza and besieged both the city and him that was governor of the garrison, whose name was Bob. Bamesis, which is Bathys. So again, there it is. So he's in God. Just that we're following, just like Zechariah, Syria, Tyre, Philistia, and then to Jerusalem. And Josephus recording history. Besieged both the city and him that was the governor. Now, okay, this is a new character. You're going to need to learn this name because it's going to come up, especially when we get back to Ezra. There's the north of Israel. North of Jerusalem, I should say, is a group of people called the, uh, the Samaritans. They're half Jew, half Gentile, and they haven't been accepted by Jews upon the, their return. They've, you can't, these uh, uh, Samaritans have been causing trouble during this, this time between the return of 536 up until 520. There's a lot of problems. They went to the Persians and stuff, so they've been causing trouble. Sanballat is their leader and that, that's the name that pops up in the bible because it's used several times like darius 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 sanballat the word allah is in there okay see sanballat allah is one of the root words of the name sanballat it goes way it's an ancient name allah comes all the way through which you track that down but nonetheless but sanballat thought he had now gotten a proper opportunity to make his attempt so he renounced Darius because when the Jadua says I won't renounce Darius Sanballat who's now the leader and had been causing trouble his family had been causing trouble on the Jews for all this time now says yes I'll renounce him yes I'll join 
And taking with him 7,000 of his own subjects, he came to Alexander, and finding him beginning the siege of Tyre, he said to him that he delivered up to him these men who came out of places under his dominion and did gladly accept him for his lord instead of Darius. So in other words, he betrays Darius and says, hey, these men are yours. So when Alexander had received him kindly, the Samaritans, Sambalate took courage, thinking, ah, now I've got Alexander on my side, and spoke to him about his present affair. He told him, Alexander, Sambalate, the the Samaritan, said that he had a son-in-law named Manasseh, who was brother to the high priest Jaduas, or Jadua. He says, you see, there's that intermarriage going on that Ezra's going to be all upset about. So now you've got the the Samaritans intermarried. He says, I've got a brother-in-law named Manasseh, who's the brother of the high priest Jadua in Jerusalem. And what his whole point is going to be, it'd be really nice if we could get ourselves our own temple. When you destroy that temple, we could just switch the whole power base to us over here. Uh, And that there were many others of his own nation now with him that were desirous to have a temple in the place of places subject to him sambalate the uh, samaritan temple that it would be for the king's advantage to have the strength of the jews divided does this sound familiar it'd be to the king's advantage alexander's advantage to have the strength of the jews divided into two parts if we could just divide the land into two parts it would be to your advantage king now you haven't heard the last of that eschatologically because that's exactly what's going to have to take place here in the near future Lest when the nation is of one mind and united upon any attempt for, uh, for innovation, it proves troublesome to the king, to kings, as it had formerly proven to the kings of Assyria and Babylon, and on and on and on. Whereupon Alexander gave Sambalay leave to do so. Uh, Sambalay, that sounds like a great idea. While I'm def- defeating Tyre, you go back and build yourself a temple because I'm planning on destroying the temple of the Jews because... They didn't bring me provisions like you did. I like Samaritans. I hate Jews. That's Alexander's position at that point. Now just watch it turn. Because the Bible says, uh, yeah, you're not going to do that. Uh, Whereupon Alexander gave Sambalay leave to do so, who used the utmost diligence and built the temple and made Manasseh the priest, the brother-in-law of Jaduas, now the priest in Samaria at the uh, Samaritan temple and deemed it a great reward that his daughter's children should have that dignity. Now we've got a priesthood in the family, just like Aaron. But when the seven months of siege of Tyre were over, and the two months of siege at Gaza, Sanballat died. So Sanballat's dead. He doesn't get to see any of it. Now Alexander, when he had taken Gaza, made haste to go to Jerusalem. Now we know it takes place in Gaza. Dragon Battis to death. He's dead. He's been drugged to death by Alexander Tyre's in the, in the Mediterranean Sea. Now Alexander's on his horse on the way to destroy Jerusalem. And J- Jadus, or Jadua, the high priest, when he heard that, just like the Philistines, their heart melted and they heard what happened to Tyre. Now Jadua in Jerusalem, who says, I- I'm not going to break my vow. Tyre's gone. Philistines are gone. And coming to a town near you is Alexander, and you upset him. Uh, and so Jadu is not sleeping well. When he heard, the, now does this sound like uh, Sennacherib coming to Hezekiah? I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the same story. Now, Heze, Sennacherib came to Jerusalem against Hezekiah. Alexander comes against Jadua. 
we're going to eventually have the Antichrist come against some, I mean, it, it's, you see this thing cycling. This, this could have been, in, in, we talk about cycling, this could have been the Antichrist. Right here, this could have been the end right here. But it's not, because it's not, it, God's going to cycle through. When he heard that, uh, excuse me, Jaduah, the high priest, when he heard that, was in an, in an agony and under terror, as not knowing how he should meet the Macedonians. What am I going to do? I mean, they destroyed Tyre, they destroyed Gaza. Since the king was displeased with his foregoing disobedience. He therefore ordained that the people should make supplication. We're going to pray. And should join with him in offering sacrifice to God. We're going to double down on our prayers. We're going to go up to the Temple Mount. We're going to offer sacrifice. Same thing Isaiah and Hezekiah did when Sennacherib was coming. Whom he besought to protect that nation. Ask God to protect us. Now, he may have been quoting these verses right here. I, it doesn't say he was, but he's, right here, here's what's going to happen. You're going to pray, and he's because right there it talks about Tyre. I mean, he's reading, just like you can read Daniel. Uh, uh, Jaduah could have been reading Zechariah chapter 9 saying, well, there goes the Sir- Syrian cities. There goes Tyre. Well, Gaza's next. Gaza's gone, and here comes Alexander. And he may have been encouraged by the word of God saying, break your treaty. It's like, I, I'm not going to lie to just find peace. I'm going to hold true to my commitments. Because it says right here, when he gets here, he's, I'm going to be protected. Now, he may not know how it's going to be protected. He may have thought it was the Messiah is going to come protect him. He may have thought the second coming. We wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't call it the second coming. You know what I'm saying? But he, he may have known these. You can't imagine the high priest didn't know these verses were here. But nonetheless, it doesn't say he did. And he besought, he's praying to God to protect the nation and to deliver them from the perils that were coming upon them. Whereupon God warned him in a dream. Just like God helped Hezekiah by giving Isaiah a word, Jaduah gets a dream, which came upon him after he had offered sacrifice, that he should take courage and adorn the city, put the lights out, decorate this place, get the banners out, and open the gates. Don't lock the gates, open the gates that the rest should appear in white garments. Everyone else put your white clothes on, get the priests in their white garments, but that he and the priest should meet the king in the habits proper to their order. So he's got the high priestly garments on, the, the other priests have all their stuff on, everybody else has got white on, without the dread of any ill consequences. In other words, they're going out defenseless, which the province of God would prevent. God tells him this in a dream, according to Josephus. This is not scripture. Upon which, when he rose from his sleep, he greatly rejoiced and declared to all the, war- all the warning he had received from God, according to which dream he acted entirely, and so waited for the coming king. He's waiting for Alexander. And when Jaduah understood that Alexander was not far from the city, he went out in procession. Now here is, this is, I gotta quit, obviously. But here is the Dead Sea, Mediterranean, or yeah, Dead Sea, Jordan River. Here's Jerusalem, and it's, it rises. There's hill. But this would be outside the city, city of David, and then it rises up to Mount Moriah, and it goes up higher and higher until it gets right about here. So this is, this is the low pot spot of the hill. There's uh, Mount of Olives over here. It rises up right here. So right up here, Geba, or Gibeah, is right up here. It's like two miles away. It's a high place. And you're going to come from the coast. This is a plain, the coastal plain right here. This is really flat ground here. Then you're going to have some hill country. Then you, you, you start driving here. I mean, we've driven it a couple of times. 
drive from here, you go flat, then you start going up hill country, then right up here, you're just going, the engine's just whining as you go through roads, winding up to this place right here. There would have been a similar path in the ancient world of the roads they would have traveled on. And there's a high place right here, and then you can come down into Jerusalem. There's a picture on page 20. I'm standing right there. It's called the high place of Gibeah, Gibeon. Uh, that's Geba of God. That's where uh, Solomon offered sacrifices. That's what was a, was a high place where Saul was anointed. Uh, it was where the temple stood after uh, the Philistines destroyed it in Shiloh. It's where it was. And you can see from there, looking down, you can see right there, you can see Jerusalem. I've got a little line. It's, it's nicer if you can see a big color photograph of it. You can see the Temple Mound. And then the, you can't see the, the Kidron Valley, of course. But you can see two, and you actually see all three peaks of the Mount of Olives. And you're two miles north of Jerusalem. You, you climb up from the coastal plain up to here, and you're looking down on Jerusalem. That is where Alexander would have rode his horse from the coastal plain, rode up, which is nothing like a, a secret path. I mean, that's the way you get there. And from there, when he got there, the high priest had marched out there with the priesthood and the people in white. And that's where we're at right now. And when Jaduah understood that Alexander was not far from the city, he went out in procession, not in military formation, with the priest and the multitude of citizens all dressed in white. The procession was venerable and the manner of it different from that of any other nation. They're shutting their doors, shooting arrows, throwing sling stones, or just surrendering. You know, just saying, we'll do whatever you want. But he resisted, saying, we're not going to break our vows, but he comes out like this. It reached to a place called Shafa, which name translates into Greek, signifies a prospect or a high place, which is right there in that picture. For you have thence a prospect both of Jerusalem and the temple. And that's what you have in that picture. Turn the page. Now, the next picture is I'm standing on the Mount of Olives. Looking, you can see the eastern gate right there. I'm standing here on the Mount of Olives, looking at Jerusalem here, but looking up this way at where we've got written right there, high place of Gibeon, Gibeon God. That's that little high place right there. That's where they would have met. Now notice, I've got over there on the side, knobs over there. That's where knobs at, right there on the side there. And when, and when the Phoenicians who were marching with Alexander, because he conquered them, and the Samaritans, who had come to work with him, that followed him, thought they should have liberty to plunder the city. This is going to be a great day. We're going to destroy Jerusalem, get all the plunder, and torment the high priest to death, drag him around the city, which the king's displeasure fairly promised them. Uh, the very reverse of it happened, meaning they know he's upset with Jadua. And he's going to plunder, and they're like, we're just going to, he's going to let us go crazy. For Alexander, when he saw the multitude at a distance, they're marching up this high place, in white garments, while the priest stood clothed with fine linen, and the high priest in purple and scarlet clothing, just like Aaron, with his mitre on his head, having the gold plate whereupon the name of God was engraved, holy to Yahweh was on the plaque. He approached by himself, he came off of his horse, uh, and a and adorned that name and first saluted the high priest the high priest didn't salute him he just stood there alexander got off uh what's his name of his horse uh, i can almost remember the name of his horse anyway uh, he got off his horse comes down and salutes the high priest first which is like not what the king does you don't salute first 
the Jews also did all together with one voice salute Alexander back. And he encompassed and encompassed him about. They formed a circle around him. Whereupon the kings of Syria that had been defeated up north, you know, when he first went through Hamath and Hadrad and Damascus, and the rest were surprised at what Alexander had done and supposed him disordered in his mind. Someone must have hit him with a rock or something. What's wrong with Alexander? He drank too much. However, Parmenian Parmenian, uh, was was his sidekick, one of his generals, alone went up to him and asked him how it came to pass that when all others adored him, Alexander, he should adore the high priests of the Jews. I mean, they should be in bowing to you, and you're up here basically bowing down. What's going on? Parmenian asked him. To whom he replied, I did not adore him, the high priest, but that God who has honored him with his high priesthood. I'm honoring his God who he represents. For I saw this very person in a dream in this very habit, in these very clothes, when I was at Dion in Macedonia. Now Macedonia is where he came from. So before he even left on his march, he says, I saw this man and these people in these garments who when I was considering with myself how I might obtain the dominion of Asia, not Persia, but just cross over and take Asia, exhorted me to make no delay, but boldly to pass over the sea thither, that'd be the the Aegean Sea, for that he would conduct my army and would give me the dominion of the Persians. He, in other words, he's seeing these people, and remember, they they were to be dressed and their temple was to be a copy of what Moses saw in heaven. So what Alexander, he not necessarily saw these people, but he saw people dressed like this with the God that came to him in a dream and says, you go, I will empower you to take not just Asia, but all of Persia. I, and that's exactly what Zechariah is saying. The Lord says, you start marching, and I'm coming with you. So Alexander says, this was, what, this was the vision that I saw, and these were the people. So they just reenacted in the temporal world what he had seen in the spiritual realm when the Lord came to him and said, go. And of course, this lines up with Daniel. Daniel told him the same thing. Whence it is that having seen no other in that, I've never seen anything like this anywhere, and now seeing this person in that same dress as the God who I was talking to, and remembering that vision and that exhortation that I had in my dream, I believe that I bring this army under the divine conduct and shall therefore conquer Darius and destroy the power of the Persians and all the things that succeed according to my own, in my own mind. And we had said this to Parmion, and he had given the high priest his right hand. The priest ran alongside of him, and he came into the city. So he's riding his horse, bar, 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 bar something, something, name of his horse. Came into the city, the high priest running alongside of him. And when he went into the temple, he offered sacrifice to God according to the high priest's direction and magnificently treated both the high priest and the priest. And then they brought out the book of Daniel and showed him where Daniel declared that the one of the Greeks should destroy the Persian Empire. Here it's written down in prophecy. Alexander liked that part. But the next day he called him and said, what can, we do? what can I do for you guys? And basically they say, just let us follow our laws and let those that are living in the lands you are conquering continue to follow their laws and we will pay you tribute every year. Except, of course, the Sabbath year. We don't want to pay tribute. And he agreed to all of that. Uh, and then he marches to, down to Egypt. Uh, the Persians go with him. And I, there's, you can read that yourself there. I'd like to keep reading it, but you can read the rest of that. Uh, but it ends up happening. The Samaritans go with him to Egypt. 
But Alexander appoints a, 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 a king, a governor over the Samaritans, and they kill him. Uh, just like uh, the Jews killed uh, Gedaliah. And so when, and you can read, that's all written there. When they come back, that's on the next page, page 23. That's where they built the, that's Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, and where the Samaritans rebuilt Sechem and built the temple there uh, that Alexander let them do. When, they, when Alexander came back, he came back, and then you can read right there, he destroyed the city they rebuilt and sets up a garrison of 600 troops there, and the Samaritans actually got the fate that they thought the Jews were going to get. And uh, in 331, they rebuilt the city of Sechem. Now, if you turn the page right here, that's the next verses right there. Now you've got, now coming to Jerusalem, but gentle and riding on a donkey is the next king. And so well, you saw those pictures tonight of Alexander where the horse, where he was on his horse, he came in as a conqueror and ends up in the temple. The next verse talks about coming, riding, another king comes, riding in, and that's where Jesus walk goes in those, the eastern gates right there from Mount. Uh, we'll talk about that next week when we get to there. But then uh, that's just amazing details, I think, going through that. And I've got to quit. I appreciate your patience. And uh, I find that very exciting. I hope you enjoyed that. You can do more reading on that. I'll pray, and we're free to go. Father, do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We do ask that we'd continue to find encouragement in the Scriptures, that we would find direction for our times today as we look at what has taken place in the past and look forward to what is prophesied for the future. And we do again thank you and ask that you'd empower us today to live a life that is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time.